This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and today I'm joined by the artistic director of Northern Sky Theater, Jeffrey Herbst, to talk about everything that's been going on at Northern Sky over the last year, their upcoming season, all of that kind of stuff. Jeff, this isn't your first time on the podcast, so welcome back. Hey, thank you, Andrew. And thank you for coming in and chatting with me. You and I have been talking over the last several months about, you know, when the season was first announced and all of that kind of stuff. And I wanted to have you on today to chat about the process, because I think that there's so much about getting live theater started again that your average theater goer probably doesn't actually know about or understand. And when things were just starting to, you know, be talked about again in March, April, May, there were a lot of questions of like, what's it going to be like and why does it have to be that way? And there's some pretty interesting answers to those questions. So I kind of want to go through that. So why don't we kind of start at the beginning of the year. Um, Walk me through what the process was like to actually plan and then put on the 2021 season. Right. So like almost every other business in the country, things were a moving target, right? And that had to do with obviously the coronavirus and then the vaccine rollout. And Nobody knew for sure how those things were going to interact and what impact they would have on any businesses, let alone ones that were dependent upon large groups of people gathering together. That's why theater had to shut down. Unlike most businesses, there weren't any other options because theater is all about mass gathering and, you know, enjoying an experience together. So we really didn't know what we could plan. Honestly, we were under some very strict guidelines at the time, mandates really. The DNR at that point, at the beginning of the year, was still under a 50-person gathering rule. We can't possibly make a theater season happen if you can only have 50 people in an audience. That's just not our model in any way. We have a 650-seat outdoor theater, and we are accustomed to being able to sell at least half of that to at least make ends meet, right? So we were waiting on word from the DNR. That was one huge piece of the puzzle for us. The other as huge a piece was Actors' Equity, which is the union that governs the employment of anyone who is a professional actor under their banner. You know, you have to join that union. Right. Uh, You aren't automatically enrolled in it. Right. And when, when people say professional theater, oftentimes that term is used, you know, it's the same thing as calling yourself an equity theater, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's not to say that a non equity theater doesn't have the right to call itself a professional theater. Right. I think really a professional theater is a theater company that pays their artists, you know, that they're not amateurs, you know, that they're not community theater that's just expected to sort of volunteer their time. So a professional theater that's under a jurisdiction is a different level of a professional theater. It sure. just means that you have to adhere to lots and lots of rules that have been brokered between that union and professional producing organizations. Right. And that's that's not something that's unique to Northern Sky in Door County. Peninsula Players is an equity theater, Third Avenue Playhouse, Door Shakespeare. That's you right. all use equity actors and right. equity technicians and designers and all that kind of thing. And so 
you have a set of rules and guidelines that you have to abide by. And the Actors Equity Union, like you said, it's a workers union. So it is focused on your employees. It doesn't necessarily have, you know, guidelines for audiences. There are some that relate to the actors in that way. And we'll, we'll kind of get into that. Yeah. But when, when you had to come up with your, you know, list of here's what's going to be different this year, a vast majority of that stuff came from actors' equity guidelines, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And they were first and foremost, from the outset, concerned about the safety of their actors. As we all know, when you go to see a play, the relationships that happen on stage are often very personal and very intimate. That's what makes them theatrical. All of that kind of activity, of course, was exactly what we were being told we shouldn't be doing. Social distancing, all of that sort of stuff. So it was just impossible for that union to say that there were, was any way for those actors to be safe under usual operating circumstances. Right. And equity approves shows based on a number of things in a normal year, but we're approving shows based on safety guidelines and stuff last year. And there were very, very few shows that were actually approved to perform. I think there were probably less than a handful. And all of them were completely different than you might expect. All outdoor theaters, all socially distanced and masked audiences, socially distanced and masked actors on stage with plexiglass dividers, completely different theatrical experience than you would imagine. This year, that's not the case, but that is because Actors' Equity Guidelines have changed and they're they're always evolving. But right now, well, and actually you can update me on this because last I had heard they had their guidelines for fully vaccinated companies and that was running through June. 30th, right? Right, right. So what's the update now? Uh, One of the hugest updates for us was we were being required to test weekly, even though we were a fully vaccinated company. And they've relaxed that guideline now. Only if somebody is, is symptomatic and feels like they need to be tested, then they get tested just to, you know, to make sure that everybody's okay. And that seems sort of obvious, I think, that using those resources for fully vaccinated people is not the best use of resources. It also doesn't really tell you anything exactly. We've guaranteed the union that anybody who's employed by Northern Sky will be vaccinated. What their members do outside of that is sort of their business, you know? So at any rate, yeah, I kind of forgot what question we started with on that one, Andrew. No, that, that's fine. I'm glad that this is kind of evolving in, into the, the discussion because these are things that I'm sure people are curious about. They're things that I have had to learn more of over the last couple of years. And I think the thing that's really interesting is that not only do you have safety protocols that you have put in place, but that the DNR have put in place mm-hmm. and that Actors' Equity have put in place. So you're kind of working with these three different levels of safety protocols, but there are other commitments commitments that are tied into that. And that may have had an effect on what you've decided to do this year. It's had an effect on, say, what Dor Shakespeare has done this year. Right. Everybody's handling things differently. So you mentioned weekly tests, but I, I know that there's also like COVID safety chaperones, for lack of a better word. Like for yeah, every- compliance officers, they're calling them COVID yes. compliance officers. And everybody had to go through a training. Some people in the organization, you always had to have a compliance officer on site for all rehearsals and all performances. Right. So we had a number of people that got that certification. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention was Equity relaxed, and this was a huge thing for us in the rehearsal hall, Equity relaxed their mask requirements for indoors while we're rehearsing. And when we first started and we're doing Fisherman's Daughters, everybody was masked except for the actors while they were speaking their lines in rehearsal. And it's really kind of onerous because, again, everybody in the room is vaccinated and having masks on, it's difficult to communicate 
you know, I felt sorry for Molly, who was directing that show, having to wear a mask, trying to communicate effectively with actors uh, without their being able to sort of see her whole face and expression, you know. Right. So it's, it's a different kind of a beast. At, at any rate, we were happy to get our season open and, and virtually non-complaining about all of those things, but very happy to see some of these things relax so that, right. you know. That's the other thing, too, because there are safety obligations, but I'm sure there are financial obligations in order to uphold those safety obligations Oh, as yeah, well. we were paying for all that testing. Right. Yeah. And so that's the other thing to consider when you see a reduced season or fewer cast members or reduced technical elements. All of those things things are playing together in order to bring a live season to you. There are caveats this year. Yeah. And yeah. those caveats I think are, there's varying degrees of them. Uh, and I think they're all surmountable. I think they're all parts of the experience that will make this year unique and doesn't necessarily take away from anything you're seeing on stage, but they are things to consider when you're wondering why things are different. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, the decision that we made even last year, right when the pandemic hit, of course, nobody knew what to expect from this whole thing. And, and we had a rollout opening season, you know, oh, let's start two weeks late, you know, right? Last April, and then, of course, oh, yeah, we aren't going to be able to have a summer season. Well, maybe we can still have the fall season. Um, no, that's not going to work either. You know, so it was constantly evolving. But through that, what we decided as an organization was just try to stay as intact as possible. And the only way for us to be able to do that was to have a commitment from our board that was going to be one of the priorities. And that meant we had to get really creative and do a, the virtual season like we did, which we then, on the artistic side, decided that we wanted to stay as engaged as possible with all of the artists that we otherwise would have employed on full contract, which then allowed us to go back to them when we were able to start to piece together this particular season and say, now we'd like to offer you a contract and we'd like to offer all of you that we can a contract. And because we're not doing rep this year, we were able to offer more contracts, their shorter length. But everybody at least got some weeks out of this particular season. So, you know, there were silver linings for some of the limitations that we were operating under that were different from how we usually operate. Yeah, I'm glad you brought last year up, too, because last year was such an interesting and strange season for everybody. Right. Because when you think about, like, theater as it stands cannot operate under pandemic conditions. That's right. right. It, like, nothing about theater can operate as normal. So then you have to start thinking about how you define theater and what make something theater mm -hmm. and then as you start to play and get creative with your virtual offerings what is more akin to theater and what is more akin to film and i know that you did a number of things like artist profiles where you talked to artists and gave them screen time on social media i know you did the jeff and katie show mm -hmm. um, so i know that there were a number of ways that you were able to engage your audience and connect them to your company and i think that that was a really wonderful thing that all theater companies got to do last right. year is right. to create that engagement but there's also this digital effect as well, right? So you're experimenting with virtual productions, you're experimenting with Zoom productions, and then your 2021 season opens with a Zoom production. Right, right. And, and we'll talk about that as well. But just to kind of tie up last year, what were your big takeaways from the work that you did last year and how is that affecting your work this year? Well, that's interesting. I, I thought in some ways that there would be a little bit more of a carryover because we were so, I mean, we did, I think, 55 completely different productions virtually over the course of one year, which is kind of astonishing. And that's not even counting all of the Facebook posts stuff that we did. Uh, these were offerings for people. 
So when you go from that kind of uh, intense learning curve, and then you feel like, oh, we're, we're getting kind of good at this. And then you transition back into real theater, as you said, and real theater is different from what we did last year. I mean, there's no question about it. You know, the in-person rehearsal, the in-person performing, the in-person audience, all of that stuff is, it's a different beast. And the logistics of that are completely different from how you operate in a virtual world. So in some ways, like you said, we had a show called Not Even Remotely, which we developed to be performed both virtually and in person. And that show had a one-week run virtually before we opened our in-person season. And now it's going to have its in-person run starting next Monday on uh, July 12th. So that is one of the ways that we sort of carried it over and said, okay, let's experiment a little bit with form and see if we can have our cake and eat it too, right? And the other thing that we're going to be doing, which is is a bit of a carryover, is we are filming all of our productions this particular year professionally so that we can offer them to our audience if they can't make it for one week after the production closes. That was a concession, in a sense, by the union. Normally, it's exorbitantly expensive to film any theatrical production under any union jurisdiction, and it just becomes non-cost effective. So you just don't do it. Equity relaxed some of those regulations and allowed all theater companies to have this kind of an offering. So we're going to take advantage of that. Yeah, I think that that's a wonderful thing to be able to offer both for accessibility, people who can't make it out, but also people who don't feel comfortable making it out yet. Sure. Maybe people need one more year to kind of feel comfortable and they can still see live theater, Yeah. though it won't be live. Although I do want to mention, not even remotely, what I really liked about that production is that it was a Zoom production. It was a remote production, but it was performed live every night. That's right. Yeah. And so when you talk about that spectrum of theater to film, this definitely falls closer to the theater side because every single night that you see it, if you saw it every night, would be a slightly different performance in the same way that it would be if you were to see it live in person. And I don't know, I'm not sure I know of any other situation pre-COVID where anybody was doing that. I mean, the sort of groundbreaker in in this realm was National Theatre Live out of England. And they were filmed live, but then if you watched them later you know, in a broadcast, it was the taped version of that live performance, right? So it was just captured once. And then you saw it. And yes, you were watching them perform it live at the time, but you weren't engaged with their live performance, you know? Right. Well, and they performed it live and released a video of it. Exactly. If anything had gone wrong in the taping of it, you know, they have an opportunity to correct that. They could have, whereas, I suppose. Whereas when you're doing it live, If anything goes wrong, you just roll with it because you're performing for that audience in that night. Yeah, although I think, I mean, I might be wrong about this, but I do think that when National Theatre Live does their taping, they do broadcast it live. At at the same time? Yeah, at that same time. And then they take that taped version of it and they release it later for, you know, for other venues to show. Right. Yeah. And you said that this is kind of a dual season for Northern Sky because you're operating in the park and in the Gould Theater. Yes. And not even remotely is opening up in the Gould Theater on Monday. Yeah, on July 12th. Yeah. And so is Tongue and Cheek. Right. On the outdoor stage, the so, exact same night. Yeah. And <laughs> you are, I mean, you are used to concurrent shows normally, but you just haven't done them in two different venues before. Is that right? That's correct. 
we never have had a show running in the Gould and on the, that was our whole plan last year. Right. You know, we were going to have this mega season and that was, that was a little bit of a leap of faith this particular year to think that we would still be able to do that. But we thought that by doing a show like not even remotely, if we were for whatever reason forced to not be able to do a live performance indoors, we'd still maybe be able to continue to do it virtually. So that was part right. of the reason why that particular show was the one we decided on. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see not even remotely because I took in the virtual production yeah. and it is it is very much written to be performed virtually yeah. in a way. Yeah. The major, not to give anything away, but one of the major jokes of the show is explaining what the show would look like if it had gone on live. That's correct. And so to see that in a live theater, I think will hold a different meeting and maybe it'll feel less like watching theater of the moment of like, oh, this is what we're going through right now. Right. And it might start to feel like, remember COVID? Remember how weird <laughs> right, everything right, was? Right, right, right. That's going to be a thing five, 10 years from now, oh, for sure. sure. There's yeah. going to be movies and all sorts of stuff written about yeah. the pandemic year. Yeah. And maybe this is like right starting at, to, right. to give that feeling. I think that's so, exactly right, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm excited to see that. Walk yeah. me through. Walk me through the season in its entirety. I'll let you kind of to tell people what they can expect. Well, tonight is Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday of this week, you would have an opportunity to catch Fisherman's Daughters, which is Katie Dahl's piece, which we're calling a preview production. The reason we're calling it that is because as it was conceptualized by Katie and by Molly Rohde, the director, in workshop two years ago now, 2019, was for it to be a fleshed out full production, you know, full costume, full set, props, the whole kit and caboodle. And we decided that we still wanted to present it, but we were going to have it defined by its limitations, style defined by its limitations, which meant we weren't going to have a full set. We weren't going to have a full costume plot. And we decided not to use props. It's not unusual for us at Northern Sky to do shows that don't have props because we've done story theater a lot. And I think in some ways, the whole idea of props, physical props in space is something that a lot of people are used to because it can be done and has been done a lot theatrically. So that wasn't a huge stretch, right? But the piece, in focusing on the full orchestration, which is what we really concentrated on, we have a really wonderful three-piece band over there this year with Dennis Johnson and John Lewis and Andrew Crow. being able to focus on the story itself in such a rich way, I think helped us to see that in some ways the piece more simply presented is as effective as it might be. <laughs> so, yeah. you know? Well, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I've, I've been thinking a lot about Door County audiences and what they're comprised of. And I think that there's three types of Door County theater audiences. There's folks who love theater. Mm -hmm. There's people who only see theater in Door County. Uh -huh. And then there are people who are seeing theater for the first time. Right. And right. I think that what's lovely about the, the second two audiences is that this year is giving a glimpse into the types of productions that I feel like theater goers in the cities are way more accustomed to. I think that might be true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, like I, I like to think of the Fisherman's Outers as like an expanded staged reading. Right. You right, had the, right. the scripts on stage for the actors if they needed them. When mm -hmm. I saw them, 
they didn't need them at yeah, all. Yeah, they've gotten rid of them now completely. Yeah, but like I'm really familiar with that type of theater yeah. in the Twin Cities. Seeing right, stage right. readings, workshopped plays, plays at different levels of production is commonplace in the Twin Cities, and it it creates a tapestry of theatrical appreciation. I think that people can really enjoy. I totally agree with you, Andrew. I don't think. I mean, honestly, there's no compromise in that whatsoever. It's just a different way of mm-hmm. enjoying the piece. Right. Yeah. And I think that there is a spectrum of production value and everything along that spectrum has value. Yeah. And so seeing something that is more reduced in the technical elements, but focused more on the honesty of the story, yeah. I think has just as much value as seeing something lavishly produced. I totally agree with you. So I totally agree with you. That That's the big thing that I've enjoyed about live theater this year in Door County is just seeing stuff that I was used to 10 years ago yeah. in, the, in the cities, yeah. but seeing that here and knowing that some audiences are going to be seeing this for the first time. And, and what a great yeah. gift to be able to give people yeah. uh, as you're trying to do the best you can with the circumstance. Yeah. And it's interesting, the three types of audience that you mentioned, I think Northern Sky is comprised of all three of those, maybe in some ways in equal measure. So that's an interesting uh, analysis about you know how people how different audiences will receive what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Tell me about Tongue in Cheek. Tongue in Cheek was the first show that Fred Alley wrote as a book musical back in 1991. Fred Alley was one of the uh, co-founders of Northern Sky Theater. Fred and I were grade school and then high school buddies. And we both started with Heritage Ensemble when we were in college, which was the predecessor to Northern Sky. And Fred and I both took a little hiatus in 1990 when the company shifted from Heritage Ensemble to then American Folklore Theater slash Northern Sky. But we both came back roaring in 1991 and said that we would be on board for the full summer. And Fred wanted to write this piece called Tongue in Cheek. And then we also worked with Paul Sills on a story theater piece. Both of those things for me were kind of landmark events in my developing professional career. And a real eye-opener for me, because I directed Tongue in Cheek, I was in Tongue in Cheek, I created one of the characters in that, and then I worked with Paul Sills, who's a, a master of storytelling. And it gave me the understanding that I wanted artistic control in my life. I had just come off of doing a Broadway show when I was in New York, and it was you know a thrilling experience, but it was also an eye-opener for me that I felt like as an actor in that production, I was a pawn more than anything, right? Fun to be a pawn, but you know, somebody else is moving you around is how I kind of always looked at it. And I loved the idea of working with my friends, creating brand new stuff of our own, and then also being able to direct it and be in it, you know. So Tongue in Cheek was just a, it was a lovely, Fred wrote it as sort of a radio style play. At that time, he was totally into Prairie Home Companion. The five of us, and there were only five of us in the company that year. We went down to Spring Green together to do our first week of rehearsal, and we learned that show together, and we would you know, lie on the barn floor where we were rehearsing in the evenings and just listen to Prairie Home Companion episodes and just kind of soak it in. So I wanted to bring that piece back, partly because it obviously, in this day of COVID, when we were planning a season that could be more presentational, I thought, well, what's more presentational than a radio play, right? But I really wanted to inject it with freshness. So I hired some of our youngest company members. So all five of them who are doing it are brand new to the piece. And they have injected it with such a wonderful life. We're doing it completely differently from how we did it in 1991 and when we revived it in 97. It's more fully realized, more fully staged, believe it or not. It's just been a blast. And I think the five of them have really taken to that material. It's so cool when you're able to revive shows that you've done before. But Northern Sky also, because you make 
all or the vast majority of the shows that you put on. You make all them of yourself. them, Andrew. You make them all. <laughs> I don't know if maybe there was one that uh, you nope, know, not one. <laughs> you you make them all, yeah. and so you have this legacy of content that you can go back into and revive. And, yeah. they be, and I know that you do that a lot with certain shows. Yeah. Come back year and year again, fan yeah. favorites. But to be able to to bring things back and tweak them or change them and, and not necessarily even edit them directly, but just put them in front of a new set of actors who are going to bring their own interpretation to yeah. it and see it evolve in that way. Well, one of the things we did in the virtual season is we had our play club and we decided to go back. Molly Rohde, who's with us and has been with us since 2007, didn't know a lot of the canon that was done in the 90s that we haven't revived, like Tongue in Cheek, like Our Night in Frog Station. So we pulled those from, from our archive shelves and had a play club and read those pieces so we could all familiarize ourselves with them. And she just thought Tongue in Cheek was just so charming. She's like, you know, why hasn't that been revived? I'm like, no good reason, except we're going to revive it now. So that was another silver lining for the pandemic was that we actually had time to go back and look at our canon more closely. Right. Yeah. Being able to kind of take stock and audit what you've done yep. and in order yep. to present it in a new way. So that is premiering in August. What else haven't we touched on? Naked Radio? Is that the last one? Uh, no, we're going to do Whatever Happened to Carl Janko. And that's the one that's going to open in August. Okay. So Tongue in Cheek and Not Even Remotely will run f each for four weeks concurrently. And then we'll open Whatever Happened to Carl Janko on August 10th, I think it is, out in the park. That's a new piece by Matt Zembrowski that he wrote that he is still writing because we wanted something to be, again, adaptable when we didn't know for sure what we'd be able to do. So that piece is going to be interesting to see now how we envision it compared to even two months ago when we did a reading of it virtually. You know, right. just to see what is it now that this is all evolving and changing. And then, yes, the final show that we'll be doing is Naked Radio, which is a remount, but it will be in the Gould. And it will be with uh, Chase and Molly, who were both in it originally, and Andrew Crow, whom I mentioned earlier is one of the members of the Fisherman's Daughters Pit. But he is also like the one-man band extraordinaire of Tongue and Cheek. He's a really remarkable musician, actor, singer. And he will join Chase and Molly in the production of Naked Radio. So there'll be the three of them. I'm curious too, because I feel like Door County audiences can be more accustomed to larger productions with bigger casts. Mm. And that's something that city audiences are not as accustomed to because there's many more theaters in the city and uh -huh. many more of them working on less of a budget than say the state theaters that you might be accustomed to. And so they are putting on very focused shows with just a couple of actors. Right. And I know that there's a couple of shows in this season that are, are reduced in terms of their actor count. But is that is that something that Northern Sky fluctuates with in terms of how many people are in each show? Or is that something that was more of a consideration this year than other years? It was totally a consideration for this particular year. Absolutely. Yeah, Fisherman's Daughters only has four actors on stage. Tongue in Cheek only has five. Not even remotely only has two. Right. Whatever Happened to Carl Janko is only five and Naked Radio is only three. Yeah, we really, we wanted to contain it. And our goal, as I said earlier, was to hire as many people as possible, but also for all those who are on contract at any given time to feel as safe as possible. We also had issues when we were trying to figure out if we could have a season or not about when do you commit a whole bunch of money to housing? If it all falls through, you've committed yourself financially to something that you might not have need of. So we didn't want to overstretch ourselves in terms of envisioning what was going to be realistic either. So we secured housing that we knew we could transition from cast to cast. 
And that's why we thought keeping the cast size small would be really critically important this year. Yeah. And that's just another one of those elements that I feel like people who only see shows up here or people who are seeing shows for the first time, those are elements that like city theater goers are going to be more used to anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's just another way to to give a different experience. Right. And I, I really don't think, and it, because I'm so used to seeing smaller shows, I don't think that you lose anything outside of maybe volume. Right. Right. You, you, don't, you don't lose anything in terms of the honesty or the production values. I am used to seeing casts with a dozen characters being played by six and yeah. just yeah. double casting and stuff like well, that. Well, one of the most effective pieces of theater I ever saw was Patrick Stewart doing his one man Christmas carol on Broadway. So, yes, you can go to Broadway and you can see The Lion King with a cast of thousands and puppets and Julie Taymor's brilliant direction, blah, blah, blah. But you can also go see Patrick Stewart tell Dickens' tale of Tiny Tim all by his lonesome and be just as moved, yeah. you know? Right. It, it really, there is no, like, hard limit on how many people you need on stage to That's tell right. an effective story. That's right. Some of my favorite shows, Into the Woods by Stephen Sondheim, that is a show that is written for a small cast yeah. to be double cast. And yeah. there's narrative implications in who's being double cast as what. Right. And you can see that done, you know, at a larger theater or at a community theater or high school theater where every character has their own actor portraying them. Right. Or you can see it as it was done on Broadway where you have double castings of certain characters that have narrative implications. I think... Um, Audiences love seeing an actor take on multiple characters. It's just interesting to see how they do it in front of you. You know, oh, that's the same. One of the things that I thought was delightful was when we did We Like It Where, Isaiah Spetz played two different characters. One of them was kind of nerdy and, you know, sort of a yes man to the governor. And the other one was more of just a, a regular kind of, you know, boyfriend to one of the characters. And there were multiple people who saw that show and came out and said, how come that actor who played that didn't take a curtain call? And I'm like, uh, that was the same, you know, they really thought they were two different people. That's how well Isaiah did in portraying them. They, they were confused. They thought, right. oh, that were two different actors, right? Yeah, and that that's something that you get in theater that you don't get in, say, film, yeah. right? You can look at a film actor's career and say, wow, can't believe they played these different characters. Yeah. But to see them do it live in front of you, is, yeah. it's a whole different beast. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, is there anything else that we haven't mentioned yet about the season or what people can expect at Northern Sky that people should know? No, I think you're pretty comprehensive, Andrew. This has been great. It's wonderful to talk about the season. And thanks again for having us on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there anything people need to know about tickets or anything that have changed in that way? Yeah, we're still, we're still doing virtual sales only. And it's really working out quite well for us. I think our patrons are glad that they're able to get their tickets in advance. All seats are reserved this year, so we have no general admission, which is very different for Northern Sky. So there's nobody coming to the theater on the night of to purchase tickets. So make sure if you're camping, if you're out with your family during the day, get yourself to an, a nice little spot that's got a little Wi-Fi connection. And you can go online and you can easily get yourself tickets for the whole family. Great. And that's at northernskytheater.com, That's correct? correct. You can also call the box office and order them over the phone. Great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I feel like there's a lot of things that people didn't quite understand in terms of how a season comes together this year. Right. Um, and I hope that we've been able to kind of explain that a little bit more. And also kind of talk about how the season's different and how this is an opportunity to see something unique. And I I think that theater goers are going to have a great time this year. And I think that they are 
are going to come away from the different experiences that they're seeing with a, a new appreciation for the whole enterprise. Basically. I hope so. I hope so. Thanks well, thank, for having me. Yeah, everyone. thank you very much. And uh, I'll chat with you again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.